Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Hallo und herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. As is usual for this time of year, I am in a new space. Different recording sounds, different mic levels. We're figuring it out as per usual, like I said, for this time of year. I've just moved back into college and I'm preparing for the new year to start. Today's episode marks the second book in our Summer YA series, promptly in time for us to hit pause on the series and start on some fall content. But regardless, Summer YA is the series in which I go through and read the young adult books that were formative to my development as a young reader. I've mentioned on the show before that I was a voracious reader throughout my childhood until about the seventh grade, and then I stopped reading altogether. Even, I'm sorry to say, some books for English class until the second half of my junior year of high school when I started the book a week reading challenge because I was tired of considering myself well-read when I was not, in fact, well-read at that time. Fast forward five years and approximately 300 books later, and we land here some 190-odd episodes into podcasting about this very topic, literature. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, I will champion anything, unless it's harmful or destructive of course, that gets young readers reading as these books got me reading. Thus, welcome to our summer young adult series. Introduction, why I love the Hollow Trilogy. To prepare for this episode, I did end up rereading all three Hollow Trilogy books entitled The Hollow, The Haunted, and The Hidden, and all three are by author Jessica Verde. The first time I read these books was between the sixth and seventh grade, which was right around the time in my life when I stopped reading as much, stopped liking it as much, in fact. But I distinctly remember reading these in long car rides home from various music practices or sports engagements, and I would haggle my mom to let me use a book light in the backseat of the car so I could read just another 20 pages of the books on my way home. I also remember how enraged I was that none of the bookstores in our area carried the third book, which I had to call in an order at age 11 for myself. So picture this for a minute. There's this shy 11-year-old girl who doesn't enjoy reading as much as she used to, but she's so enthralled by this book series that she's willing to call her local bookstore and have them order it for her, then ask her parents not only for a ride but also for the cash to go pick up said book. So all that's to say, I really enjoyed this series then and I still really enjoy it now. When I think back to all of the reasons why I enjoyed the Hollow Trilogy, a couple of general tendencies from my early days of reading come to mind. First, I was and still am drawn to anything gothic in nature. Anything with darker, morbid elements has always been something that I've enjoyed engaging with even when I was younger. 
The main love interest in this book is a ghost, enough said for that one. <laughs> Second, I love Halloween. Hint, hint, horrifying classics. We'll get on with the self-evident truths. My great-grandmother celebrated her birthday on Halloween. My mom always asked for Halloween instead of Thanksgiving off from work. I know that's kind of blasphemous. And I would and still do spend months planning for my next epic Halloween costume. This year is a surprise. This book takes place in the town of Sleepy Hollow, which is tied, of course, into the legend of Sleepy Hollow, the one with the headless horseman, written by American author Washington Irving. Very Halloween adjacent indeed. Third, Jessica Verde's writing style is different from the other YA authors that I was reading back then. John Green in particular comes to mind as kind of a standard YA type voice. Although I wouldn't have had the tools to articulate it necessarily at that time, I liked the way that Verde incorporated varying sentence styles and lengths, especially her use of shorter sentences to measure out the impact that the reader would have at varying points in the novel. To put a two-word sentence in the middle of several 13-word sentences makes a statement, and that was new to me at that time. I love and still regularly reread this series today because of all of the reasons above, plus a bit of nostalgia that I get from rereading it, as well as being able to work through all of the twists and the turns of the plot again. This is a packed plot and we're not gonna get into all of it today because I want to leave something left for those of you who want to read this after this episode. So in terms of a plot summary, again, I'm just summarizing the plot of the first book for you all as I don't want to reveal all of the twists and turns of the entire series if I can't help it. So the first sentence of the prologue of the first novel is, quote, they said she killed herself. Everyone was saying it, unquote. What an amazing first line. Does not matter if it's in the prologue, in my opinion, or the preface or whatever insane first line. They said she killed herself. Who said she killed herself? Who is she? Who is the author slash narrator of this text and why is this event important? Did this person kill herself? There's literally 20 to 30 questions that come up and it pikes your interest in such an amazing way uh, and I just was hooked I think even from these first lines. Everyone was saying it. Who's everyone? Why is everyone important? What measures the authority of this everyone in this in this regard? And some of it, I think, is so eye-opening and jarring to me because this is a YA book. This is not some sort of adult contemporary fiction type book. This is not Javier Marias. This is not... Faulkner, right, where you would have these types of themes in the beginning of the novel, this is a young adult fiction book and it has, you know, all of the outcroppings of a young adult fiction book. It has the kind of fantasy element, it has the love romantic element, um, female lead for a lot of young adult books, at least that I read or that were available to me when I was younger. Um, so it has all these features of a classic young adult book, and yet there's this 
super jarring and super, I think, real and just heavy hitting plot point that gets introduced in the preface. Like, before even the beginning of the novel, we have these amazing lines starting out the series. So, this, the two lines I think are important to me to start off a review of these books because they are a microcosm of what the actual books are like and what it's like to read a YA series that is so reflective and that's so honest but also has this heart-wrenching, morbid type element within it. Continuing on with the plot, we learn that the she in the first sentence is Kristen Maxwell. She has died and they are just going into high school, so these are high school uh, aged kids going in, um, and she has supposedly drowned, and the first scene is at a funeral, and it's Kristen Maxwell's funeral. Abby Browning is the main character of the novel. She's the one who narrates all three of the books, and everything, of course, resolves around her life and her grief especially. She has survivor's guilt as well, pretty hardcore, and she's attending the funeral of her best friend, who is Kristen, and they have this bright red casket on display at the funeral, and there's no body in it because Kristen Maxwell's body has not turned up yet. Abby, from that day of the funeral, starts to see this boy around who has this shocking white hair and has a black streak in the front of it. So kind of an interesting hairstyle to start. And because they run into each other so often, she's at the cemetery very often, they live in the town of Sleeping Sleepy Hollow, of course, in New York. So they go to the cemetery just to read, just to play, just to hang out, and there's the construction of this bridge, and they like to play around on the construction site a bit. And Abby sees this boy almost every time she's at the cemetery, so they start meeting and interacting. She learns that his name is Caspian. One of the major pillars of this book is grief and Abby working through her grief. So she's in mid-high school. I think she's a junior at the start of this novel. Very much like Twilight, interestingly. There's a lot of parallels with Twilight that I'll talk about a bit later. But she's a junior in high school, right? And she's going into high school in a small town without her best friend. Like, this is what Kurt Vonnegut in Mother Night would call an island of two. And I love that term that Kurt Vonnegut had because it so describes oftentimes the relationships that we have with people who are the closest to us. And especially during high school, which can be such an isolating, harrowing sometimes experience, you know, where if you get embarrassed or, you know, drama happens or whatever, that island of two becomes so important. That's your support system. And so Abby has to go through this tough year starting again with this funeral happening at the beginning of that event. We learn fairly early on that Abby makes perfumes. That's her main hobby. I thought this was so cool when I was 
a preteen and young teen, I still think it's really cool. I think that would be such an amazing hobby to have to make perfumes. But yeah, she has this whole collection of essential oils and little perfume mixers and she makes perfumes for her family for different seasons inspired by different characters throughout the series she eventually does make a perfume for Kristen that she pours on Kristen's grave so it's one of those integral hobbies or activities in the book and what i love i'll talk about this a bit later too but what i love about that hobby and sort of how it's enmeshed within the book is that the pacing of this book is so slow but and it picks up at the end but that slow deliberate kind of pacing i think is so impressive especially since this was verde's debut novel she of course wants to take this perfume making habit farther and she wants to start making and selling perfumes and she wants to open a shop downtown. There's like a specific vacant shop in downtown Sleepy Hollow that she's been keeping her eye on and she and she, you know, goes down and looks at the through the empty window and everything and it's her dream to open a shop there after high school, maybe take some business courses. So we kind of are confronted at the beginning of the book and throughout this first book in particular with okay, so there's this girl who is so ambitious and knows so specifically what she wants, which I think is such a brilliant trait to write into a character at such a young and formative age. You know, for me, for example, I saw this young girl who knew exactly what she wanted and was had this goal that she was working towards. And that was so inspiring for me of like, you know, when I went into college, I had a specific path and a specific dream and a specific goal for these four years. And, you know, things are bound to change and to move around. And that's a big aspect of the series as well as how likely things are to change. You know, Abby, I won't give it away, but Abby's dream turns out a little bit differently than maybe she had drawn up in her mind but the overarching message was hey this is someone who knows exactly what she wants and this grief gets pushed like a wedge in between her and that dream and realizing all of the steps to get to that dream and i think that was such a mature aspect of this novel especially as i was reading it when i was younger is of all the things that could have gotten from her in her way essentially of this dream of this path that she's going on maybe you wouldn't expect grief to be a part of that journey and abby every day again the pacing of this novel is quite slow it's like it reminds me of virginia wolf in some aspects um mrs dalloway is the novel that takes place only through a single day. I mean, the pacing isn't that slow, obviously, but, <laughs> and what an interesting novel to talk about. I might have to read that again and review it, but it has that kind of Alltagsgefühl, like everyday feeling, like it's just a normal, routinized kind of feeling, but then there's some spooky stuff that happens, and that's kind of what I loved about this book, too, is that we get so enmeshed in the real of 
Abby's life at high school, of Abby's other relationships, of her grief, and her every day struggling to work through that, struggling to put on a brave face for her friends and her family and the rest of the town because her parents are on the town council. There's kind of all this baggage that we get invited into in Abby's world and that makes the rest of the fantasy, the rest of the uh, odd elements, the ghosts essentially that she starts seeing, other people that, you know, are kind of into this world and into another world, that makes all of that palatable in a sense that I think like uh, for example, Twilight is very successful at. We get this vision of a normal girl who gets a high school crush and then all of a sudden the world changes and it kind of broadens in some respects. So it's this, it's a very grounding first novel in that respect. We don't have like too many otherworldly beings in this first novel as there are in the second and third novel, there start to be like people who come um, from another... I'm trying to conceptualize this in a vague enough way for you to not be spoiled, but a specific enough way to for you to understand how far this book goes into fantasy. It's not far. It's essentially... I think the mental leaps you have to make are very similar to like Twilight or Beautiful Creatures certainly not as distant as Graceling, the book that we just reviewed, or Magic, for example, for example, the Septimus Heap series of seven books. So it's not like deep fantasy type of read, but there are beings that are, you know, human form, but not necessarily human, if that all makes sense. So it's one of those books that just has like these fantastical elements that really serve, I think, to enhance the plot rather than detract from it. I think of like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, if you know any of his short stories or novels. Um, I read a novella of his in high school and, you know, 100 Years of Solitude, of course, <laughs> that's a huge novel, um, which is very good. Uh, Love in the Time of Cholera, also very good. Uh, Chronicle of the Death Foretold uh, is the one that I read, but any sort of, yeah, short work of his um, that has kind of these, like, magical realism elements, that's the extent to which Jessica Verde goes in this novel uh, series. It's not like we're bridging huge gaps or anything and having to imagine these very strange beings, no. It's very, very approachable, and I think, again, because of the groundwork that Verday so painstakingly puts through in this first novel, um, it's a very, very impressive feat. And so, essentially, The Hollow, the first novel, there's people that she meets, there's this grief that she's getting through, she starts to sort of unpack what's going on behind Kristen's death. Again, we don't have a body, there's this, like, mysterious air around her death and Abby can't understand. Um, Kristen was so careful, they knew the cemetery area so well where she was reported to have drowned, and it just doesn't make sense. The pieces of her death don't make sense in the way that they should for a best friend, and Abby's trying to figure out, well, is that just 
me and my grief and my survivor's guilt from this event of not being there, for instance, to catch her if she was falling or what was happening. Turns out Kristen left some diaries. She had a secret boyfriend who she was probably purportedly meeting on the night of her death. So we get kind of the insider's view, so to speak, on Kristen's death. We start to learn more about Kristen and more about what she was hiding from everyone, including Abby. Um, and we get to learn more about, of course, Caspian, who is this, gosh, he's just like this wonderfully sensitive and he's um, he's emotional in some senses um, and just respectful young man who is, we learn that he's like freshman in college age, so he's a bit older and um, he, his car, his dad owns a car shop and he's just, he's an artist, he sketches at the cemetery and he likes to hang out there supposedly is the excuse he gives Abby. Um, he makes these amazing gifts, little necklaces, little things, and he always is gifting Abby something. He is a voracious reader, goes through all the books because he's got tons of time on his hands. And again, he's just this wonderful, sensitive young man who is so attentive to the people around him. And we find out at the end of the book that he's a ghost. Yeah, so he died. Um, she, Abby, ends up accidentally, uh, in a kind of freak accident, going to Caspian's father's car shop, car repair shop. In the back of the shop, she finds a yearbook with Caspian's uh, picture, not her, not his picture. It's not in the yearbook, but his name is in the yearbook. That's supposedly his graduating class and his graduating high school. And her, and Caspian's dad, rather, mentions, oh, that, that was my son's, uh, and he's dead. So, Abby, at the end of the book, has kind of a freak out. Things start moving quickly at this point, and Abby, at the end of the book, decides to go away because she doesn't have the tools to deal with the grief and loss of her best friend, as well as seeing people, seeing Caspian after he's died, seeing also uh, the graveyard keeper, Nicholas, and his wife, Katie, those uh, individuals are also probably not alive. Um, so she just doesn't have the tools to deal with the grief and also kind of, I mean, I can't imagine how scary it would be to understand the people I've been hanging out with are not alive anymore. So she ends up going to a very skilled therapist and living with her aunt Marjorie when she has this episode of figuring out, okay, these people are maybe not alive anymore. And thus ends the book. When she leaves Sleepy Hollow, the book ends, uh, which is just, again, what a great ending to a novel. I think this novel stands alone so well. That's one of the things I look for in a series, actually, is how well the books stand alone. I think the, all the little 
all the pretty horses <laughs> i almost said all the little ponies all the pretty horses by cormac mccarthy kind of has this similar vibe uh where the books especially the second book i mean all the pretty horses is okay in itself i have a complicated relationship with cormac mccarthy don't out me you can listen to my podcasts on the road and child of god which i think that episode is called cormac and i you can listen to those if you want to hear more about my relationship with Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> but, you know, the second book of that um, trilogy, or even the first book, they just stand alone so well. Um, and they, in my opinion, um, are, are great because of that fact. Um, in addition to, of course, the writing and what they cover and all that. But this book stands alone so well. Graceling, of course, it's it's a series, but it's companion books, um, so maybe under a different category of criterion <laughs> in some ways, but that also stands alone super well. I did not read Bittersweet and the third book, which I think is called Fire. I didn't read the other two books, um, or reread them rather. I didn't felt, I didn't feel like I had to, um, for that episode. For this, um, trilogy, I did because, A, because it's my favorite from childhood. I thought it would be really fun, and it was. <laughs> I'm incapable, similar to Twilight, I'm incapable of reading this book over a slow amount of time. I think the longest that it's taken me to finish a Twilight book is like two weeks, but that was probably when I was in high school reading Twilight again. So, yeah, they're just wonderful books. They're quick reads. Um, if you, you know, have an afternoon that you want to spend reading, I would recommend these books. Um, and they stand alone, like, I didn't have to read all three books, but again, it was my pleasure to <laughs> read all three books. Alright, let's talk about what stands out about this book and also the series. The first thing is that it deals with de death in a very real, mature way. The characters grieve. They don't just move on right away, and we get to see and deal with the grief as they're going through it. So, uh, the scene in Twilight comes to mind where Harry Clearwater gets killed by Victoria, and Sue Clearwater, his kids, all that, they... We don't see their grief. We just, we see, like, a momentary glimpse of it, but we don't see them working through it. And then Sue Clearwater, a year later, moves on and starts dating Charlie Swan. So we get this kind of skewed picture, I think, of grief. And we don't understand fully how much, you know, it would have taken her, healing-wise, to get to a point where she wanted to date again. And wanted to uh, open herself up to that kind of relationship and intimacy again. So... We get this again, and I think it's similar in a lot of YA books just because it's an uncomfortable subject and it's socially um, and especially culturally here in America maybe not as open-ended as a lot of other topics like love, for example. We hear a lot more about love and uh, you know sexual intimacy in YA than we do about these sadder or more taboo subjects, money, or addiction, or death, and for me, I think it's interesting because when I was 
reading in the age range of reading these books, I sought out books that overtly dealt with those subjects. So we won't be reading it for the series, at least for not, not for now, but I did read a book series about um, drug addiction when I was a young teen and preteen. And I learned a lot from all of these books. I learned a lot about mental health and about these taboo subjects that I wasn't hearing about in other areas of my life, whether it was at school or at home. So um, the fact that this book deals with this, these awful kind of cluster of topics, death and grieving, um, grief, in such a mature and I think holistic way that's um, so healthy and you get to see I think not only um, grief itself but how different people grieve differently and I mean what a mature intimate kind of topic for a young adult fiction book so for example Kristen you know, Kristen's death usurps a lot, and we find out that Kristen has, um, or had a brother who also died, and he died from a drug overdose after, I think he had, like, a freak accident and got addicted to narcotics after that, and how her parents are seen grieving, especially, especially her mom, Mrs. Maxwell, um, that's so different from how Abby grieves, and that's different from how people at school grieve, and how they put on a different face than Abby. I think that was so important for me when I was younger to take in. This is also a YA book that doesn't stigmatize therapy, and that's something that I didn't understand the value of until I was older as well. There are so many YA books where the main character has this sort of trauma or this sort of grief or guilt or something. They have this problem that they can't overcome in, in you know, using the tools in their toolkit that they have. And so rarely does the character want to go to therapy. Um, I think of the Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children series. The main character in that book has to go to therapy, um, and it's a joke to him. It's sort of a, I mean, it helps a little bit, but it's sort of just this thing that he has to do. Whereas Abby seeks this out, and her parents are very open in conversation with her about, if you need help beyond what we can give you, beyond what the school can give you, you can go get therapy. And that's something that I think was so... Uh, helpful to me as a kid to get that message of if you need help beyond what you can get on your own, it's not shameful. There, there's no sort of shame that you need to carry if you seek out that kind of help. So that's one thing that's so spectacular about this series is that Kristen gets help when she needs it and she even says in the book there's like a little line about how she is a little bit like she didn't value therapy but she needed to do it she kind of had that like baggage that a lot of us have about oh like getting professional help about you know things um she had that baggage and she did it anyway and she got a lot out of it anyway and she did the healing that she needed to do so i thought that was such a valuable message 
And this is maybe a little more abstract, this third characteristic, but the characters throughout the series, I really super enjoyed. And back then and when I read this recently, just all of the characters, all of the lives that Abby is able to touch through this healing process. There's in the second book, I believe, is when this character comes up, but Sin, um, the person who takes over Kristen's locker, um, Casey and Yuri, um, these revenants that come in, or essentially they're friends at first, um, the cemetery keepers, who are also somewhat ghosts, they're called Shades, um, Caspian, of course, his life, um, different, like, there's this kid, Ben, at school, that, who comes up more in the second book, um, just all of the people that she's able to touch, she makes perfumes for a couple of the girls at school, she speaks at the opening of this bridge ceremony, um, where, uh, which was supposedly near the spot where Kristen died, where they used to hang out a lot, and the bridge gets finally finished and she does this opening ceremony. So there's just, again, there's just so many lives that she's able to touch, and I think considering the ending of the whole series, which I'm not going to spoil, it's just such a great way um, to propel the series forward using these relationships. And... Um, their relationships just become so integral to this novel in particular, and that stuck with me so deeply. And the last thing, it's a smooth read. Uh, the prose is, I think, advanced enough to keep older readers like myself engaged without tripping up the descriptions or dialogue that a lot of younger readers use as touch points for understanding the text. So. In terms of the actual writing, I think it's great writing and it's such a good level, not only for this debut YA novel, but for older readers who want to read it for the first time or come back to it. Final discussion. So a quality that I use to measure the books that I like, especially the series that I like, but also standalone books for sure, and novels and all those, um, is how they do on the second or third read, or in other words, how rereadable they are. And for me, this is an eminently rereadable series. I would say the same about Twilight, but for different reasons. <laughs> um, I think about other books that I reread often. Um, David Sedaris's We Talk Pretty One Day, that's a that's one on my reading list almost every year without fail. <laughs> I reread a lot of Kurt Vonnegut still. I've read everything he's ever written, um, which it's just yeah, I love Kurt Vonnegut so much, but I reread his stuff a lot. Um, I've been known to reread Philip Roth and Don DeLillo books and Tyler books. Uh, Joan Didion books, of course. Um, so there's just these kind of key authors and key books um, in my reading experience and my journey reading and one of the threads that I have seen over and over again in my favorite books, the books that I keep coming back to, the books that I get something out of every time I reread them, these are the books that hold up so well on subsequent reads even if you've read them recently. 
Um, and I just really think that The Hollow and The Hollow Trilogy fits well within that criterion. One of the things that I was so surprised about on this read is that Caspian is just really not in this first book. I, of course, came in with this kind of assumption of, okay, of course, you know, Caspian's gonna be everywhere, we're gonna have lots of scenes of him, but really he's not, he's like the shark in Jaws, like, he's kind of elusive in this book, uh, and he comes up more in the second and third books, but in this first book, it really surprised me how little he was present in it, and how much, like, page time, I guess, he got. Um, but I thought that was really effective. Uh, and instead of having this, like, love interest you see every day at school, like, Caspian is a little bit more elusive, and there's a little bit more headache in some ways trying to get a hold of him. And I think that works really well in terms of, you know, if Abby and Caspian had spent more time together, she would have noticed more stuff about him being a ghost sooner. So. I thought that was a really effective plot point, and one that I didn't notice, like I said, right away uh, getting into this series. And finally, talking about the pacing of this book, and all three of them, actually, it's so graceful. Um, it really is slow. It's a slow kind of paced book, in my opinion, as I read it. Um, it has just like so many daily situations in them, and it picks up at the end of each book. So, you know, in the first book, it picks up with her realizing, okay, Caspian's a ghost, I need help, and I'm gonna leave Sleepy Hollow, I'm not sure when I'm gonna be back. So that whole sequence really picks up at the end of the first book. End of the second book, same thing, there's a big plot event that happens, really picks it up, and at the end of the third book, the, like the last 100, 150 pages or so, it's a little bit longer than the others, um, from my memory, uh, just really goes fast, like a marathon type thing, um, or sprint type thing, rather. Uh, and I really liked the pacing of each book. I thought it was super effective. The books not only segue very well, but it has this kind of conclusion, like a full stop at the end of every book. I really like that. It's not like Goosebumps, for example, where there's like a cliffhanger <laughs> at the end of every chapter. Um, there is sort of a cliffhanger in the second and the first and second books, but it's it's a conclusion all the same. And I think the other thing about the pacing that I thought was so effective was Abby takes time to like smell the flowers and make perfumes and pick out outfits that she likes. There's a couple of scenes where it's just like her showering and getting ready for a date night. And I love those scenes. I thought that was so effective to have these little points of pause and little points of just simple joys and enjoying the day or enjoying the hour. That was so important. I think that goes along with these scenes of grief and how to heal from trauma and loss like that. Um, and, you know, for Abby, at least, those little moments where she's just fully present and fully indulging in the moment, those were her ways of starting to heal, and again, so integral to this novel. Alright, that is all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed this review of the Hollow Trilogy. I would highly recommend you all read this one 
it's so so enjoyable it's a light read like i said but again just so enjoyable and also the perfect read to get into some spookiness for the fall right this is summer ya but it's really fall ya at this point um and we are getting ready for horrifying classics. I'm so excited. I just finished the Patreon books for October. There's two of them, patreon.com slash relevance of literature if you want in on that. I'm so excited, again, for the books that we have lined up. I have all of them. I am going through them. They are spooky. So I'm hoping that you guys have some <laughs> palette for spooky novels this year because we've got five of them that we are excited to deliver. All right, y'all, until next time. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.